In this episode of Risk Engineers Talk Governance, due diligence engineers Richard Robinson and Gay Francis talk about the language of risk and why it's so imperative for people within an organisation to be on the same page when using risk management terms. We hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, please subscribe on your favourite podcast platform and also check out the other episodes within this season of the podcast. Also give us a rating and if you're after further information, all the details for Gay and Richard are within the description. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Richard, and welcome to another podcast session. Hello, Gay. Good that to we're be recording. here. So today we're going to talk about the language of risk and some of the confusions that it has and some of the double meanings, I guess, and um, that you'd need to be careful when you're using it within your organisation because it can have different meanings for different people. It's a little bit more than just double. <laughs> <laughs> a few more meanings then. It depends who you're talking to. That's right. So we actually have a section in our book in the due diligence um, chapter, chapter two of our R2A text and we're sort of going to go through that today and then um, I guess go through what, what the different definitions are, how people use it and then how we, we get around that, that confusion and the sort of language that we've tried to move to, especially in line with the WHS and environmental legislation that now requires so far as reasonably practical. What do you mean, how do we get around it? What we basically do is avoid the term risk as far as possible. Well, that's that was our conclusion, <laughs> yes, but <laughs> we might work up to that. Well, first of all, I was just going to go through the five meanings that we understand risk to have as, as, as a term, and then when you see it in the term risk management and you see the way different people use it and the different ideas that they have when they're using it, well, you can see how these two things get so mixed up and scrambled. Now, the first one is, and this is the way sort of more or less historically as it happens, is risk, risk as, a, as a noun. Now, a long, long time ago, I was trained as a highly protected risk engineer by Factory Mutual in the US. And when they talk about highly protected risk, they talk about the site itself, the insured site, the risk site. That's a noun, right? Now, they started that terminology in 1840. Um, and so, Zachariah Allen, I can take you through the history if you're particularly interested, but possibly not. Um, but the insurance world has always used risk as a noun because they're basically talking about the insured site. That's what they mean. Um, what happened basically when risk management started, and all the engineers turned up with sort of subsequent enthusiasm, um, was they started treating the word risk as an adjective to describe the risk associated with the hazard. So it's a property of the hazard rather than a th the thing in itself. itself. And that's where you get that simultaneous appreciation of likelihood and consequence. Um, then if you wind up in court, which is, and there's some examples in our book from, uh, from a Kiwi court to that effect. See, once you wind up in court, the fact is certain, the thing has happened. So when the court uses the term risk after the event, they're talking about the likelihood of that particular outcome. So they're just using it as a likelihood after the event. But when the lawyers are writing before the event, as in the, as in the WHS legislation, they're talking about the risk, you know, the risk to health and safety, what actually are they talking about? Because they're not talking about it in the way in which lawyers talk about it after the event. No, they probably refer to it more as the consequence likelihood, a simultaneous appreciation of. Well, certainly when you read Chris Maxwell's review of the 2004 OGS Act, he seems to have that confusion, even though he specifically wanted to put in the, the um, common law view, which is the hindsight-driven view, which basically says that everybody's entitled to an equal level of precaution, which is actually aimed at 
um, the likelihood, that's derived from the likelihood side only for particular nasty big things that happened. So there's a bit of confusion there. Then you sort of get risk as a concept in, involving future uncertainty, um, which is just sort of part of the human condition. I mean, what's going to happen next? I mean, you know, apparently we're not going to have the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne anymore, we just recently discovered. Well, that's future uncertainty, and we sort of know a few people involved in that project, and one wonders how... Well, we don't know what's going to happen, do we? And then there's the last one, which is the finance people are using, which is even that confuses people even more, and which the risk management standard, despite their profession about... They, they talk about risk and reward, but then they talk about negative risk and positive risk, which kind of more confusing, because the reward side is the positive risk, and the negative side would be the what we would normally have termed pure risk. Now, it possibly gets even more muddly when you actually talk about the term risk management, which everybody uses with enthusiasm because it depends on who you're talking to as to what they mean by it. Um, now, I'm, we're basically sort of rattling... A, uh, this is from a fellow called Dr Ron Bombery, who's one of my old bosses from yorks ago, uh, when I used to work for m and Protection Consultants. Um, that m and Protection Consultants was the loss control division of Marshall McLennan. As one of the Americans put it to us when he jumped off the plane from... America and said to the assembled Australians, two-thirds of the world is covered by water, the other third is covered by Marshall McLennan. <laughs> that had about the same effect on you <laughs> as it had on us. <laughs> but Americans are sometimes enthusiastic in this regard. Anyway, uh, he basically just said, look, if you want to know what somebody means by it, just look at who they are and what they do with it. So a safety manager. And that's sort of the person who sort of started to talk about risk management in the first instance. That They were talking about maximising safety budgets, getting the greatest resources to the, the best works they can to minimise loss. That's what they had in mind. Um, when you're talking about a risk manager, which popped up as the next term that sort of popped up from the safety manager, well, they were out to maximise corporate profits. Yeah, there was more a, more a um, corporate or organisational approach. approach. The problem is they, they, they probably didn't really understand the contribution of the sort of the physical management of risk to results in the way that the safety manager did because they were always fretting about what could go wrong. Then you had the line manager who started using the term risk management and they wanted to maximise production objectives and maximise profits. Um, then the legal advisors and lawyers, they sort of hopped in and started using the term risk management. What they meant by that, they're out to manage potential conflicts and win court cases. So it became almost a liability management tool, didn't it? Correct. Disputes equals prosperity too. Mm. And sign-off is difficult. For the law profession, yes. For the legal lawyers, <laughs> that's right. But then the investment managers got a hold of the idea. That's one of the reasons why the risk management standard mutated from being strictly a downside risk asset management process and went upside-downside. Well, they wanted to maximise investment returns and minimise downside risks. They wanted to maximise upside and minimise downside, which gives rise to that business, your frustration. Uh, the, the chance between zero harm and risk appetite. Yes, Yes, because no one has an appetite for safety or well, down, downside safety outcomes. Killing and maiming, yeah. nobody's got an appetite for that. But if you're talking about upside-downside, yes, you need a risk appetite statement. Yeah. Um, then you've got the underwriters. Well, they want to maximise underwriting profits, but that means they have a narrow approach. And I think what's happened is their approach was so narrow, basically being ignored now. I think they actually sort of dipped out of that one. Then you've got the insurance brokers. Well, they're out to get more clients and maximise profits but affordable services only. I remember one broker telling me something along the lines. Now, look, Richard, in order to get the business, we promised the earth. And having conduct, well, having got the business, we conduct, quote, a realistic reassessment of the insured's needs, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> 
not quite the way to do business, but or get the best. Re- well, gets them the best results. Gets them the best result for them. Uh, then you've got board members. Well, they're out to maximise profits, but they're also out to minimise personal liability. And when you look at the WHS legislation, uh, well, the big guys are still, as we still, still seem to have the corporate veil working for them, but the small guys don't, from right. what we've seen. And then you've got uh, auditors. Well, their job is to confirm that reality matches history. You know, the two things, history and, and reality align, or what people are saying, what's actually heard, are actually aligning. Uh, but this is a historical analysis. The past doesn't reflect the future. So if they're saying something about what happened in the last five years, who's, who's going to say what happened in the last five years is going to be reflected of the next five years? It just doesn't happen. Okay. So with all of those different meanings to start with and then the way that different people use it and organisations use it, then there is a huge confusion out there. So, you know, we, we often get the, the request, can you come and do some risk management for us or a risk assessment for us? And it's sort of like, okay, what are you trying to achieve with this? And until you actually sit down and look through what they're trying to achieve and who's asking the question, it depends on sort of the approaches well, like that we use. The call we got this morning about resilience. So people are using resilience both as a preemptive and a postemptive strike, aren't they? They haven't quite decided, have they? No, so but, it, but it all goes towards their risk management the in management close. The management of risk. Yes, yeah. so of future uncertainty. So uh, like we were talking before, um, Rich and I try not to use the, the term risk. And if risk we, management. And risk management. Um, so we often do issues workshops and because the legislation, especially in safety terms, asks for um, all reasonable practical precautions so far as reasonable practical, we, we often call them so far reviews. Correct. Well, that's the only way to do it because that is your legal duty. And it cuts through all of the all of the um, knots associated with risk and people's preconception. Can you help me out with the word? <laughs> Preconceptions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Tongue twisted today. Um, on, on what risk is because often they come with that and if they go to a workshop, they're expecting for typically in engineering cases the consequence and the likelihood to be characterised. I'm going to have to try some more words on you. <laughs> Transmogrification, how do you feel about that? That's a very impressive word. Well, um, as you can see, our view about all this is that when you sort of have somebody starts talking risk management, you've really got to have a look at what, how they use the term if you really want to understand what they're about. Um, and our general experience is if you're sitting around a board meeting and somebody starts using the word risk management and they've all come from different career paths to get there, you basically have an instant confusion unless somebody actually gets up and sorts it out. So I, I think for us, you know, absolutely look at, at risk as future uncertainty but really focus on the controls that you need to put in place to manage it and then it really doesn't matter from which aspect you come forward, you know, from what position you have or, or, or um, you know, take you have on it if you're focusing on what the controls are going forward, it should manage all of those things. It should be a, a liability management tool. It should improve safety. It should um, be able to give you good returns on investment, you know, True. if you do all of that, if you're focusing on the precaution-based approach. Well, it's a little bit more than that. It's actually sort of you know, 2,000 years of Western philosophy. For some reason we keep forgetting. The whole point is your fate isn't fixed. You can change it if you want to. That's <laughs> True. That was very deep on a, a, to a, a podcast. Um, so what we're saying is just be careful with the, the language of risk. Um, understand who you're talking to and 
some of these buzzwords are being used, as Richard said, you know, resilience seems to be the new one, but it is a form of risk management. Um, you're just trying to get the best out of your assets um, and, and it's being required to deliver it. So just be careful around buzzwords and what you actually mean and dig deep enough to get that understanding. So thank you for joining us again today. We hope you found it interesting. We look forward to um, presenting another podcast in the, in the near future. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, Richard.